Hello and welcome to Gary Talks. I'm your host, Gary Kelly, Managing Director of GKmedia.ie. And every week I have the pleasure of meeting some of the best and most inspiring people in business today. Great reaction to Jill Carroll's podcast last week. And thanks to everyone who did get in touch and told us how much they enjoyed that episode. Please do spread the word about the podcast. We really want to share these stories. And I think anyone who is in business or starting off in business or even thinking about starting a business for themselves, I think there's great content and value in these conversations that will really help people. And that's the whole reason for us doing Gary Talks. So you can follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn as well if you are on social media. This week, I have to firstly hold my hand up and say, I made a boo-boo. I made a mistake because when I recorded this amazing lady, Louise Lally, I didn't set her microphone properly. I didn't set it up properly. So as a result, it didn't record properly. So we had to do a lot of work in post-production over the last few days to fix it. So it's 95% there in terms of the audio quality. But it's my fault and I'm sorry, but I didn't want to reschedule the interview with Louise and say, look, it's not 100%. Let's just do it again because the content in this podcast is so good. When I met Louise a couple of days ago, she was on fire. She was just amazing. And this is one of my favorite podcasts. There is just so many valuable tips Louise gives in this podcast for anyone in business, especially if you have a bricks and mortar business, if you're in retail, if you're in hospitality, Generally, if you provide any sort of service to a customer or client, there's so many tips that you can pick up in this podcast. So it's well worth listening to. I've listened to it over and over again, and I I keep picking up on new bits in this podcast recording of things I can implement to improve my business. So hopefully you find the same value. In this podcast, Louise Lally, who is a retail consultant, She talks about customer experience. She talks about building a brand and a reputation, getting the basics right in your business, retailtainment. Yep, that's a term I never heard before until I met Louise, but I love it. Measuring your actions, the importance of getting out of your business. And she talks about that and why you should do it and why you should also do market research. Boundaries is an important topic as well that she talks about and also having difficult conversations. I think this is a great podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I have had in putting it together. This is Louise Lally on Gary Talks. Sit back and enjoy. This is a GK Media podcast. So Louise, thank you for joining us in GK Media Studios today after coming all the way up from Cork this morning. I suppose a lot has happened for you over the last couple of years, as it has for maybe some people where they've tried out different career paths or reinvented themselves and so on. And I've met you at various stages down to the years where you've been a store manager and a successful and award-winning store manager as well. But you've brought all that knowledge and fruits of that labor and turned it into your own business now, which is consulting people in retail. So tell us a little bit about what you do, because I think more than ever, since COVID and since there are so many staff shortages now that this is such an essential service for businesses in retail? Yeah, so I suppose retail is one of those industries that 
I've seen, you know, it's 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 a tough industry to be in. Um, and I think most people that have worked in that industry for longer than 10 years will tell you that if they're in that game more than 10 years, it's either evolving and growing or you 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 go backwards and, and the business will will lose. So for me, the investment is in the people, the processes constantly looking for opportunities, Gary, in, in your business and going outside the front door of your business, which is really important and something that I've been really passionate about from running businesses in Galway. And I've been quite active from a local level um, getting involved in tourism programs um, getting involved with local businesses, doing partnerships with local businesses. And I think things like this, getting our community involved in the day to day run of our business you know, it was lost at one point because we seen the big multinationals come in, the likes of, you know, Debenhams, all these big brands. We've seen they're gone now. They've left the market. And what we're seeing an emergence of is we're seeing a lot of pop up shops. We're seeing a lot of um, product based businesses starting in markets and being quite successful in that space. So we're, we're, we're very much moved back in retail a little bit to we're going back to our roots where we want to go. We want to know where that's made. We want to know that where it was sourced from the fabric or or the ingredient of what we're eating or what we're doing. So I think we're very much gone back to our roots, our local roots and our national roots. And I think there's so much opportunity there at the moment um, in a local market level that we can go out and we can, you know, go to events locally or run things with our neighbour. It could be a coffee shop morning or whatever that is and, and get the get the community around us involved in the business in order for it to grow so a lot of the things i do when i'm working with retail businesses is right we look at the kpis obviously the key performance indicators we look at you know the footfall in the store conversion what's that looking like we look at all of those key deliverables but we also look at the people and i think sometimes in retail we're so focused gary on the product and on the operational side of the business that we sometimes forget that the business isn't the product. The business is the experience I get when I walk through the front doors. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've always been really passionate about. And I, I did meet you a few years ago and, you know, something I always try and implement in any business I've been a part of, be that the Kilkenny Group, be it Rituals, be it Diesel Clothing, Mother Care, any of those. I've always tried to make sure that, that customer experience was one that was memorable, one that built brand loyalty within the community. And, and it is word of mouth and it is building a brand and a reputation around your business because um, people will come in the front doors of your business if they like it. And you could have the best product going on the market. You could have the best price point, the best marketing campaign. People won't come in the front door if they don't know, like and trust you. So it's really important that we build those basic foundations within the team that are dealing with those people coming in the door. And, and that starts with, you know, hiring the right people. What is our recruitment process looking like? How are we onboarding them? So do we just throw them out onto the shop floor? Are we showing them, you know what, we're going to buddy you up with a colleague of more experience. We're going to give you that support um, and nurturing those people. And do we actually look to invest in them, see what their hopes and dreams are? You know, so it's really important to anyone I've worked with. Retail doesn't have the best salaries. We all know that um, most people are on minimum wage. So how do you get buy-in from these people is really important. And that goes back to the individual approach. So, you know, you talk to them in the morning. How's your kids? How would you get on? You know, we used to every day in any store I ran, we would buy coffees for the team. We would bring in pastries. 
it was part it was part and parcel you know you and st- you're still doing it today. I'm still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's something you do you know it's part of it but it's just again it's that humanistic approach and you know we look at the data that's out there at the moment and we're seeing that you know in the next 10 years five to ten years the biggest thing that's needed from a skill set is human skills emotional intelligence empathy in the workplace compassion for yourself and others all of these things we want to see with other people and ourselves and if you can create that on a shop floor um, front of house of a you know a hotel wherever it is people are going to be drawn in yeah. um, and you don't need to put thousands of euro in marketing because people will be naturally drawn in to that environment because they'll want to stay in there it'll increase dwell time then you'll increase conversion. And we see the KPIs then coming through. And that's the result of that, of implementing those um, key things that we talked about. Yeah, because a lot has changed for retail in the last few years as well. And especially it was pushed so much during COVID, e-commerce and online shopping and so on. So uh, retailers with their bricks and mortar type business probably have a, a harder job now to actually even get people physically in the door. And then when they get them in the door, it has to be an experience that's much better than the experience online with the amazing website that they might have built especially in recent times and it's that smile it's that welcome I mean I think of there was a certain bar I used to like to go to when I was allowed to to go out and socialize Um, and it was just a friendly face and they had that little bit of interest in one's life so fair enough you, you could go there and you could have a pint but it was the actual the hospitality you got in that local bar and it's the same we're going to particular barbers for me or whatever it's not the actual the hairstyle that I end up with afterwards but it's the experience that I get and the banter and conversation that I have there but for retail it's definitely a harder challenge now to get people in the door and then I suppose the issue is it's hard to get staff and maintain staff at the moment as well and especially if you're investing in training people up in their they're gone after six months again. It's difficult for businesses. There's a lot going on. Yeah. I'm just touching on what you said there. Two key things that kind of jumped out at me. So the the whole, I suppose, there was a big buzzword going on there through lockdown, omni-channel and, you know, having our, our, our online store um, immolated to our in-store. And, and yeah, you do need to have a really good online offering and it does need to represent similar to what you have in the store. But a lot of people now are coming into your business, into your retail business, they've Googled that product. They know the product knowledge just as well as that sales associate in the shop floor. They know the spec of the product. They've looked it up. They've read the reviews on the product. So you have to understand they are coming into that business for an experience. So what experience are we getting? And and to be honest, I've I visited a lot of stores and I would do mystery shops and I, I would analyze them from that. Yeah. And I would do mystery shops, SWOT analysis, where I would look at, well, is there a retail retailer down the road that's offering something different? What can we do to really have that competitive advantage in our business um, to go one step further than that? And I think there is a huge scope there on getting the basics right. And when I say getting the basics right, you know, if I come into your business that I'm you know, offering a really good refund policy that if, you know, if you come into my store and you've an issue, I would prefer to come into a business with a refund than posting it back 
and going through that big, long process. So we can win in different ways, uh, you know, through those processes where people are actually drawn back in. And it goes back to that experience thing again. You know, we see the likes of um, Amazon are still open in bricks and mortar store. So when people say to me, bricks and mortar is dead, I say, no, if, if they're opening them, they know how important having both actually is because people still want that. They still want to go out of their house. And I think what I seen through COVID was pe when people when retail reopened, people were like, oh, the queues were unreal for a plank of wood. People were happily queuing two hours outside, you know, woodies are being queued. <laughs> Like, I know. Uh, uh, just to get in, but yeah. it just goes to show we still want to get out of our house. And I think, and I'm going to flip this on its head, a lot of people that are now working remotely at home, they actually want to get out even more than ever because they're now the, you know, the company they're working for doesn't want to pay the office rents. They've now um, opted to give them, you know, the equipment at home and they're working at home. And a lot of people that are working at home are actually really sick of it, Gary, and they really want to get out and go into these stores. And, and what you're seeing now brands do and we've seen it really evolve in the last three to four years and it's it's really propelled is that we're creating lifestyle brands within a store so I'll give you a perfect example I was in Galway there about two three weeks ago and I went into the three store in Shop Street and they're selling candles their their whole shop look is a lifestyle so you're not seeing loads of product on the shelf um, and if we look at the likes of Primark they've nail bars brow bars coffee shops, right? Literally everything. Bar, I think they don't have a cinema. I'm probably going to be seeing a cinema in there at some <laughs> point, right? But the whole point is that why are they doing this? Brands are doing this because they know that when they bring people in, when they offer the mums or the dads coffee or whatever, they're going to browse around the store. They're going to want to go in. And, and it's nearly like a family day out. And I think this is where we're seeing this kind of, and what they call it, I suppose, is retailtainment. So how do we entertain? So we're nearly going onto the shop floor now and it's nearly like a show piece you know um, and, and a lot of brands are even looking at they're hiring influencers um, to actually be based in the store doing peak trade so maybe between 12 and 4 they'll have an influencer based in that store and maybe they'll have them promoting a certain product of the month or whatever that is and given in-store demos yeah. so I think that's really interesting and Harrods in London do this really well if you go there on a Saturday every Saturday they have one toy that they pick toy of the day right, okay yes. now this sells out every time because they've someone stationed doing demos yeah. and I do what I loved I used to stay up at night sometimes and I used to watch the QVC shopping channel and I'd end up sitting watching for three hours and I'd buy absolutely just before Netflix oh yeah yeah before the Netflix <laughs> thing and before you know I don't know if anyone remembers radio telefish air and, and there'd be like yeah. the screen and there'd be like music and a black and all these different colours appearing but um, you know going back to that like we are visual creatures and those demonstrations are again something if a retailer is listening today you can get one of your team doing a demonstration on the shop floor on a Saturday imagine coming in with your sister brother kids and someone doing a demonstration of that product and you're going oh my god like and then getting the the customers involved in that demonstration yeah. to bring it to another level and and the value of that so you're thinking oh well you know I'm paying the staff member Louise what's the value on it just to give you an indication up to 50% of people that try a product buy 
Okay, so it's a conversion of 50%, which is, look, if half of them are going to buy, if we have 20 people in and 10 of them are going to buy, that was 10 that wasn't going to buy before. Because they so, say if someone even touches the fabric yes. of an item of clothing or yeah. something, they're they more inclined to exactly, buy Exactly, because we we connect, we make an emotional connection to that product. So if we see someone go into the fitting room, and um, if we don't have that fitting room man, so if we don't have anyone on that fitting room, and I've seen this a lot in retailers, you know, I get we've deliveries coming in the front door, right? But the delivery needs to stay there and we need to be smart with our time to so do deliveries out of hours. That's what I've said to people. Well, Louise, I only have two staff on. OK, well, do you know what? Sell the stock you have. Yeah. You don't need every bit of stock on the floor. Leave the delivery and do the delivery out of hours. If that means you're hiring someone to come in when you're closed at six to nine, do the delivery. Don't do it during trade when you're short staffed. And this is something I, I done a mystery shop in a store in Kerry. And I said there was four members on the team. It was in, I was actually in Killarney, it's four members, really nice staff. And all of them were so busy pricing stock and doing deliveries. And I get it. I get someone has told them we have to get this done today. And I understand that. But I'm just thinking you're not going to get money out of that box or out of that pricing gun. You're going to get money out of that engagement. Yeah. And I watched as and I counted six people walking in and six people walking back yeah, out again. Yeah. So that was six potential buyers, sellers, um, that just left that store and bought absolutely nothing yeah. because they didn't they didn't get that engagement from the staff. They didn't want to go looking. Some of them were in, in their lunch break. I could see they were wearing suits. They walked in, they walked out. But if we had that engagement right, if we just even, you know, get that bit of eye contact, whatever that is, it would have meant that engagement would have happened and we would have gotten a sale out of that. So there is missed sales opportunities and there is a lot we can do if we really looked at our business um, a little bit better and, and seen where the opportunities were. It's funny what you mentioned about, you know, moving into that whole entertainment side of things as well, because yeah. I've seen shopping centres in Spain now there as well, where they'll have matches on. <laughs> so all the lads are watching the match, happy out while mostly the, the women are going off shopping and stuff like that. But it works. An interesting thing you said as well is bringing the business outside of the front store because it reminds me of a friend who started up a business many many years ago and they were on a, a pretty busy street in Galway and they had their official opening day and they were really disappointed because only three people turned up around lunch hour that day and I said but what did you do to launch it you'd no balloons you did no marketing, you did no advertising. People just walked past, they didn't know anything about it. And their argument was, yeah, but I sell the best coffee in Galway. And the problem is, if you're standing behind your counter, people aren't just going to automatically come in. You need to get outside of your business to bring them to your door. We have to realise that convenience sells, okay? So convenience, right? So is it more convenient for me to and your scenario there is, is it more convenient for me to pick up a coffee that maybe I don't have to park in town and go into? So how do we make that proposition more enticing would be, if you want to get a coffee with me, Gary, I'll actually walk down to the corner there where you pull in your car at the back of Boots there where it's a drop-in point. I'll actually put two bollards down and I'll bring down the coffee with a smile and I'll put it into the car window and you can go on your merry way. That's bringing it to another level. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have to think outside the box and it's not really good enough to say, you know, I've worked with brands that have CRM programs, you know, loyalty programs, and they have a huge database and they're right, okay, we're just going to target our database. And I said, that's not going to work. How many emails do we get in 
I know in a day, a week, a month, I get a lot of emails yeah. and email marketing works. I understand that from some promotional pieces it does, but we have to not just rely on one source. Okay. So that's why we need to be quite smart and we need to go, okay, that's one part, but I'm actually going to put the other parts in, into situ. So again, it's going out, it's, it's, it's going around to your neighbors, walking around local businesses. Uh, we launched a brand and we actually traffic stopped. Now, some businesses don't really like that or they say, do you know what? I'm not going out onto the high street, Louise. I say, why not? Who doesn't want to be greeted with a smile? And we went out and we spoke to people that were on the high street. I've done it a few times in different brands I've worked with. I worked with a brand that had uh, cosmetics rituals and I worked in the same in the Kilkenny group with a wellbeing brand. And we went out and we put hand cream on people's hands yeah. through the, you know, they're putting the sanitizers and we went out and we done this. and. I wasn't selling, okay, I wasn't indirectly selling, I wasn't directly selling, I was indirectly selling. So I'm getting my brand awareness out there. I'm also seeing what's going on. So I'm seeing people walking up and down Shop Street. Are they carrying shopping bags? So that gives me a good indication of who it is. Are they tourists? Are they doing walking Because if tourists? they've shopping bags, they're in shopping mode at the moment, is it? Yeah. If, they're, if they've shopping bags, then they're shopping with my competitor. So they're, they're shopping, but they're not coming into my shop. Okay. So why aren't they coming into my shop if they're shopping with the bags? Yes. Do you know, so it makes me then go, OK, well, there's shoppers about today. They're not coming inside the front door of our store. Is there something going on with our windows? What's our front tables like of the store? Are they walking in and doing a U-turn? OK, so, you know, what I get business owners to do is I get them to stand outside of their store. OK, so they're standing out a couple of feet away from their mm. store and I get them to watch the flow of people walking into their business. Now, they have to look at it as a customer, right, not as a business owner. And I'll get them to stand there for a good 15. Now, that's long. 10, 15 minutes looking at that door is a long time. Depends on how big the traffic is that day. And they watch as, as the customer flows in and where they U-turn and walk out. OK, yeah. so this particular business, I think it was maybe about four foot in they turned and they went back out and I said right the front table is not working in your store it's not attracting the customer you want and you're not converting so what can we do to change that so we we moved the furniture around the store we changed the product offering and then we then done the same exercise again to see where they're coming in and we got that flow right I think it's really important no, to look at things it's like a fine that. art it is it's commerciality and I think it's it's really important that we look at that in a business and a lot of businesses don't do that. Now, what I'm quite lucky is that I've worked for the last 15 years, I've worked with large brands. Okay. Now what that gave me the insight into was I worked for the likes of Next. I've worked for the big multinationals. So, and then when I worked for smaller businesses, I was like, and I always used to envisage this, Gary, I said, if the small businesses done what the large businesses were operationally as in their processes, but then if the large business, if the large multinationals had the customer service as good as the smaller ones, mm -hmm. it would be such a good marry. Yeah, yeah. So when I work with brands, I look at those two aspects of we can get we can get really good the customer experience from an SME because they do that really well. And then from multinational, they're really good in their processes. And again, the commerciality tools, you know, looking at what what money we're lifting from what piece of equipment and sometimes you know i work with brands and you know they they buy stock and buy stock and buy stock and i'm like okay well you know what's commercially selling for your marketplace what sells in galway gary doesn't sell in dublin mm -hmm. it's a completely different marketplace like i know from working in fashion that we're very conservative in Galway from okay. a fashion piece okay. from a fashion yeah i wouldn't say that now on a friday night in no. town from what i've seen outside <laughs> nightclubs <laughs>
But from a buying, from a buying stock perspective, if we look at the likes of Dublin and Cork and Limerick, very different customer bases there, very different pieces that you'd buy there, very different stock. So it's it's kind of it's factoring these in. And again, it goes back to analyzing who's my target market, what business model do I have, how am I attracting them? And it's going to that and not, you know, selling to the masses that we understand how to actually go out and get that and go back to what your point is there. We were opening a new store and we went around and uh, hairdressers obviously have a lot of traffic coming through the door. So we actually said to them, do you know what? We're going to give you this offering for a week in our business, but specifically for you guys that are working here, if you allow us to put samples of our product in your hairdressers for the lead up to opening that business. So they got so many people through the doors. We then went to doctor's offices. So I know that they had people coming in. So again, we said to the receptionist, we give you a really nice deal, right? That worked really well. And then again, we went into other offices, solicitors down the docks and stuff like that. And we went in and we spoke to them because again, they're talking to people and accountants, accountants talk to people. So we're we're being really strategic. We're actually being quite smart about it. What did that incur? So just from a financial perspective, to give you an insight, they couldn't understand why we were, I think we're about seven grand up on that week. They couldn't understand why we were seven grand. No. Now, did I give my secrets away? Of course I did, because I'm a caring, <laughs> sharing person. But again, it goes back to if we go outside the front door of the business, um, we, we can see, we can I can measure that result, uh, Gary. And, it, it, you know, and even, uh, you know, the, there was a coffee shop up from us, Espresso 44, fantastic owners there, lovely people. Um, and uh, they were the landlord in one of the stores I was managing. And I said to them, can I give out some samples? And they said, and the queues for the coffee, at Christmas time in Shop Street were manic yeah. and we gave out samples and you know people say oh why did you give out the samples or give away stock and I was like three weeks later every second third person came back and said I got a sample and I said where did you get that sample I got it in Espresso 44 I said okay brilliant so important to measure your results yeah, yeah. yeah. so we'd be quite so if we were doing something like that Gary we would we would always ask the guys the till point for those transactions you know, or on the shop floor engaging, where did you hear about us? Yeah. And then we were able to, oh, I got a sample. And we pretty quickly realized it wasn't the emails that they were getting to. It was actually the work, it was actually us going out, giving those samples, talking to people on the ground and going out and going back to basics. This is stuff we done years ago and we're forgetting all about it because we're behind a digital screen. Completely, yeah. And I mean you were giving it to people who were in Galway City Centre, possibly shopping. So this was part of maybe their weekly yeah. activity or something. You could have five thousand people on a mailing list, they could have moved elsewhere, they might you know, do retail shopping. You're going to the people who are there outside your door. This goes back to knowing who your target market is. So I knew for that brand it was a domestic market. If I go back to the other brand I worked with was the Kilkenny Group, it wasn't just a domestic market because we were going after the tourism side of things. So we we went to the Galway Convention Bureau here in Galway, fantastic company. And we, we, we talked to them. Again, we looked at the hospitality piece. We'd done displays in there because, again, we were very much a tourist brand. So we were. I was thinking to myself, right, I'm managing this business. How do I tap 
into that tourism. I went to Falch, Ireland. I'd done a course on different things like that, again, to get that, uh, you know, that exposure from that marketplace. So if you're a business and you're saying, OK, Louise, my target market is, is the tourism. You know, I'm selling these uh, lovely clad or rings or whatever that is, or, you know, woolen scarves from the Iron Islands, whatever it might be. How are you actually targeting that? So are you going to local groups, national groups? Um, how are you offering that? We still need to go out and do that networking piece. Just because we have a, a big, huge shop of pretty windows and all of this stuff, we stand behind the tail and we get very disheartened because we're not getting people through the front door. You have to go walk the ground, get them in, yeah. um, you know, and that, and that pays dividends. I want to talk to you a little bit about customer profiling, actually, because a, a client came to us recently and they said, we want you to produce a video. And I said, who is the video for? What's the product? that you're selling and they're like look we, we just want to get you in the door do a video and then uh, do another video and do, do another video and I end up kind of breaking down the company into who the customers are what services are they providing what's the best service for that customer and then what's the best way of messaging getting your message out there to that customer and if it's online what's the best platform to reach in that customer and we kind of broke it down there's at least eight different strong customer profiles that they had and if they just made a video it might have even tapped into the the needs or wants of any of those eight customer profiles but that profile was based on the services that they provide and the people coming in their door in terms of you know let's say you have a, a business a retail shop in Galway city center where you have you know, 100,000 people walking up and down Shop Street during the week and different age, needs, wants, whatever. How do you figure out who are the customers that you need to come into your door when you have s- such a mix? So that's a really good question, um, Gary. So again, depending on how many suppliers you have in the business. So for example, if I was to look at say a, a store that ranged maybe a product-based business obviously we're talking about here not a service-based yeah. one so product-based business so maybe they've clothing they've jewelry maybe they've pottery whatever that is art okay so we look at that product and um, but be jewelry okay so we might have real dainty pieces high fashion pieces so we know that that is maybe an age group of I'm looking at maybe an age group of say 25 high fashion maybe to 35 okay do they have a disposable income what's the price point of that how do we target that so I'll give you an example actually which was a brand I worked with um, which is Woody's DIY and at the time I came in and a fantastic um, guy that was over at the time CEO Declan Rowan amazing guy took over Woody's and they done a really interesting um, they done a customer focus group they actually went out to their customers of Woody's and they got them to come into a, a focus group and they asked them what do they see Woody's as what what mm. were they known for right and at the time Woody's was really targeting builders builder providers okay when they done the market research though in Woody's what they figured out was was that the women had more of the disposable income they were willing to shop in woodies more than the men were and that that was the market they were targeting 
So if you see a lot of the Woody stores now are refitted, I don't know if you've seen, they've changed a lot of the looks in, in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, look, it's very commercialised. Uh, we can see the kind of, they've made kind of rooms out of the Dulux kind of ranges. Yeah. They've made, they've done that on purpose because they've realised their customer is women. So they were targeting men. So yeah. you're asking me, how do they target? They said so they they done similar to what you done. They done six different profiles. OK, and they looked at which profile was more profitable than the next one and which budget they had mm -hmm. and what they do with their price ranging. So in retail, we have good, better and best. So between good, better and best. We look at those customer profiles and price points. So if I have somebody that's maybe lower price point, that's in the good bracket, maybe they're a certain age, it's not a working professional. We then break it down to, OK, so it's someone young. They don't have a huge disposable income. They could be in college. How often do they buy? We'll look at that. We'll then look at what do they do in their spare time. So predominantly those people are on Instagram and TikTok. And um, we know if they're over the age of 40 or 50, they're mostly on Twitter and LinkedIn. So, you know, we look at targeting it that way. But it really comes down to understanding what product you're offering, the price point that matches that, and then looking at the customer that's going to buy that. Now, it's easier to do that with a product than is a service, Gary, as you know. Yeah. It's quite tricky to do that with a service-based business. Um, but I think the easier, the more narrow we can make that. And it doesn't mean that you have one. You shouldn't have one customer profile for no. a product. You're going to have different budgets. You could have, for example, what we call in retail, you could have the yummy mummy. Maybe she goes at lunch for her friends. Um, you know, we have a certain profile. So we know what she, she might wear her trainers with her ripped jeans. She might wear a nice Mac. So we create a customer avatar profile. We'll give an age on it. We'll give a budget. How often does she shop? Well, she shops typically once a week. Um, when the kids are gone to school she likes to have coffee with her friends yeah. so we know if we put a coffee dock or we have a coffee offering in our retail store that we know we're going to get the yummy mummies in uh, we know that we have a little area for the kids to sit down and maybe a colouring book we know they're going to stay in the store a little bit longer yeah. so we're being quite yeah. strategic in that um, and maybe what we might do even on a Saturday or a Sunday we might even have a little reading corner for the kids or bring in someone to play with the kids or have a toy or something or something on a reading club so again we're really looking at how can we tap into that market more now I work for a brand mother care and we got in a midwife once a month and she would talk to new mums and that was really interesting because that was a real clear target market we knew it was for mums and dads we knew if we brought in the midwife we're, we're positioning ourselves as we're the experts in the fields we bring in this uh, midwife we would bring in healthy treats we then went into the university and I would give talks on car seat safety I then I think for one campaign I went to petrol stations and I fit I was checking people's car seats in the car so if you come up and done your petrol pump I would check I'd say how are you Gary <laughs> I'll check your car seat there yeah. to make sure Brilliant. and the amount of people that had their car seat fitted incorrectly Oh, absolutely, with the yeah. isofix and yeah. all of that yeah. but the whole point I'm making in and, and I'm, I'm going into a lot of detail with different things is Gary is that a car seat sits on the shelf but yet I'm going to a petrol station and check in that the safety of other people's car seats are fitted correctly now did I get to sell a car seat by going to a petrol station no I didn't but are you going to remember me for checking your car seat and when you're looking for the next upgrade in your car seat you're going to come back to me because you're going to remember that experience you positions yourself as an expert as well in that field and you probably wearing your branded gear and stuff as well yeah 
yeah, I was all suited and booted <laughs> up. They were like, where is she going? You know, again, and it's having clarity around who is the customer? What is it we're offering? And how can we really create an opportunity or make the most out of this? Um, and, and I think there's so many opportunities there. And I love when people say to me, no, there's not. I'm like, OK, there is. There is about 100 different ways we can tackle this because there always is. We just we just get caught up, I think, sometimes in 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 business and in our own business that sometimes we need someone to come in and show us that clarity piece. So you go into businesses and you help them out, um, help with the customer experience. As I said, a lot has changed over the last couple of years. You know, you were the store manager there of Rituals in Galway City Centre. And January of this year, you set up Louise Lally Training Academy. But you've also gone on another journey as well, if you don't mind talking about. And I like, you look amazing today. Uh, And I'm very envious, I have to admit. (laughs) Obviously, your your training, your which I think is really admirable because if anyone has ever started up their own business, uh, or even just veered out from having that comfortable thing of having a job, and you're getting your paycheck every Thursday or Friday, you have your set hours, and then you decide to actually, do you know what? I was going to be completely crazy and stop uh, accepting that structure in my life and going out and setting up my own business. The stress that comes with that is unbelievable. But to, to take it a step further, where you're putting even more stress on your body and getting fit and active and healthy as well. And I'm not saying that you weren't, yeah, but I'm seeing like, yeah. you look amazing as you did two years ago, but yeah. you've clearly gotten into more of, a, of an active lifestyle when it's such a stressful time yeah. to do so. How has that journey been? Yeah, do you know what it is, Gary? I think... For me to go out and talk to business owners and talk about, you know, investing in yourself, I would feel a bit of a fraud if I wasn't doing the same to myself. And I always, no matter what business I manage and anyone that works with me, I lead by example. That's always been a core value and a core belief to me. So I practice what I preach. I will never go around and, and not do something that I don't do myself. And and that's that's important to me personally. Now, everyone is different. So... Going back to what you said, I, I, I kind of, I, I had a brilliant mentor and a brilliant coach. And when I went on this journey, which, you know, really kind of, I suppose what really happened was in 20, 2020, I was working towards, you know, going into a training role in a company. And that was all kind of, you know, that was where my head was at. And then obviously COVID hit and I, was furloughed and for me to sit at home and do nothing it's it's mm. not in me it, mm. I'm just not one of those people I can't sit down for too long so I went off and done the executive coaching and I really went on a journey there and I realized I've always been managing everyone else's business as if it was my own and I would take it on and it would literally be Louise's business that you yeah. know I used to get it was laughed at because I'd nearly I nearly sleep in the place like yeah. you know that was who I was and I said you know I'd love to actually have my own business and do that. And it was always in me, but I never really, I suppose, was pushed into it. But when I was furloughed, I said, you know what? 
I really want to do this. And I and I said it to a, a mentor of mine, an old boss. I used to have a retail director and she said, God above about time. And I was <laughs> laughing at her. And she actually has her own retail consultancy business as well. And she's cheering me on on the sidelines. She's Brilliant. fantastic. Um, and she's actually coming to watch me speak tomorrow in Cook Park. I'm, I'm representing. Oh, you're in Dublin tomorrow. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's exciting. But I, I'm very lucky. I have amazing people around me, Gary. And, Which and is I, essential. It's so essential to you to have these people in business mentors coaches it, it really helps in your own personal development and it's been a huge part of my development and I started working with coaches and mentors and I realized you know what I've wanted this for so long so what I done was I worked in rituals for about a year and a bit and I was working in my own business two days a week so essentially doing seven days for about a year and i was feeling very burnt out yeah. january hit and i was like oh my god i need to i need to make some changes and my coach said you need to put a date in the diary you're talking too much about it so i put a date in the diary and i stuck to that date and i said i'll either stay in my job or i'll leave it and i left it and it was it was it, that was the kind of defining moment i had to then i had my a resignation gone in they said don't leave and i said no i like i need to kind of leave and they were very supportive and even the managing director in the uk is is so fantastic still to this day is you know super proud of you you know you've done fantastic and it's it's great to have people like that around you supporting you and i appreciate it and yeah so i went on this journey i to be honest, I did have really unhealthy habits for a long time. My work was always number one. And I said, if I did set up my own business, that it was for my family um, having a balance, having looking after Louise, because for a long time, Louise looked after everybody else. Yeah. Everybody else, Gary, like my son, my family, my work, people I worked with, I'd always, you know, and, and, and it's in me because I'm quite a nurturing kind of an individual anyways. But I said, you know what, I'm really going to focus on myself and, and mind myself. And yeah, so I said, you know, if I'm, I'm doing the business, I'm going to have to put in the time mind myself. So, yeah, I, I get my sleep. If I don't get my eight hours a night, I uh, have naps, which people laugh mm -hmm. at. Um, I love siestas. <laughs> I love siestas. So I was actually talking to someone yesterday. I said, I love an old nap in the day. So that's totally my jam. So I do have naps. It might be a bit strange for some people to get their head around, but they, they help me re-energize. Yeah. So I do that. And then my sister is a big uh, sea swimmer and I said oh my god right I'll do it and I, I haven't gone out of the uh, wetsuit I do love kayaking so I have a love for the water I've always loved water but I haven't been brave enough to take the wetsuit off I might at some stage but I'm absolutely a cold creature well, it, it is the Atlantic Ocean in it fairness is, yeah, yeah and it's quite cold so I've done that I, and my eating and all of that I've had to I was a bit of a sugar addict um, but I do I do have treats now but I do balance it out but I need I needed to do those changes, Gary, because I could see that it wasn't benefiting me uh, mentally. I was quite drained and tired and it was a lot of it was my diet and not being healthy. So I knew I needed to do those things. And I'm, I'm you know, my son is quite good. He keeps me on track, you know, to eat today. And I'm like, oh, yes, you know, the bananas there, you know. So I try and keep as healthy as I can. But I'm loving I feel like I'm on a new chapter, Gary. I really do with with my business and um, with my, you know, my lifestyle. I've made those changes and it's great as well because it was quite hard to have those lifestyle 
habits when you're in a job where staff shortages you're going in you could be working six days one week or seven days the next whereas the way I work with my clients I get to choose my hours I get that flexibility and I do have a great balance which is amazing and I'm not called in all hours of the night for an alarm going off or you know but it's great you've set that structure and standard in place because I'm the opposite so when I was in a full-time job before where I was the employee I would start at maybe 5 a.m. and finish at 1 in the afternoon. And I knew I had the rest of the day to myself. Uh, and siestas was part of that day. So I was a bit functional in the evening. So I would go and go to the gym and I was have my set breakfast in the morning and so on. But then when I started up my own business, it went the complete opposite f- for me. Because, you know, you're saying yes to a lot of good jobs and you don't have those fixed hours. And so I, I found it more challenging by setting up my own business but you actually you just put the line in the sand as, as such you said while setting up your own business this is how I'm going to do it which is very smart yeah yeah I think boundaries is really important and I I've kind of I've done psychometric assessments for a while so I have a good awareness of my own I suppose my own areas of strengths and weaknesses and, and an area that I would have to be very aware of is boundaries boundary for myself and others and when I talk about boundaries, it sounds like a serious word, but it's more so that I tell people I work Monday to Friday, but I don't really work Monday to Friday. Monday is my admin day. So I take predominantly my coaching clients or work is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. My son is with his dad Tuesday, Wednesday. So I purposely then it, it works around my family life. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I get most of my clients done. On the Friday, I will only work till one. Unless there's an exception to the rule, I will only work till one. And it's usually that Friday's any maybe calls or anything that needs to get done or wrap-ups for the week, and then I'm off limits. And I, I contract that way. Um, and I tell people I'm not contactable. You can't contact me at a certain hour of the day. Yeah. And some people are like, you know, <laughs> what's going on here? But I have to because I worked in an industry, Gary, where, you know, 1 a.m. I can't come into work in the morning and they could be rostered in for 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. So I've learned that I, I this whole journey I'm on, there has to be boundaries and contracting with anyone that starts working with me is really important. And I've that clearly laid out. So there's no room for error. And even when I do contract, I have a conversation after the contract goes out and I go just to recap over the contract because it's really important that I'm not on call all the time um, because it doesn't benefit me or the client anyways. I mean if you're getting messages at 1am or 6am in the morning the minute you wake up the stress levels are sky high already before your day has begun as a result you're you're in reactionary mode yeah and you're in work and you need to switch off i need to so i'll get those you know emails or whatever but i i make it quite clear i will not be responding to your email till monday morning so people know that it's an i set that expectation from day one so there's no you know i've sent something to you on friday evening well you know i finish at one so if you send it after one you will not see a reply till monday morning do you know so i'm quite stringent on that and i have to be because uh i want to start how i mean to go on and as things get busier I need to try and you know have that structure in place because when you come out of an environment like I did where everything was so structured I knew at 9 to 10 10 to 11 11, everything was timed to a penny then coming into my own business I was like I need to have some form of a structure because otherwise and I know my personality type 
I will end up going back to workaholic mode. Mm -hmm. I will go back to workaholic yeah, mode. Yeah. So to be so careful of that, uh, Gary, and so aware that's inside in me. And I do have to manage it every day. It's not like, I don't think anyone gets rid of that. And especially if anyone that knows my family, my dad still goes into the office on a Saturday and a Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't need to. Yeah. But we just have it in as my sister would work Saturdays and Sundays. So it's in our family. We're, we're always kind of, if you're not working, sure, you mustn't be doing anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, what are you doing there? You're not working. It reminded me before COVID, sometimes I would, I would work from home because I just found there was less distractions uh, and I would fly through stuff. And then when, I'm, you know, mom and dad could be minding the girls after after school. So I go and collect them and it's like, oh, where were you today? I was like, oh, I was working from home. All right. <laughs> So in other words, I was doing nothing because I, I was at home. <laughs> Thankfully, COVID changed that perception that people do work when they're when they're at home. But it's funny. And that whole workaholic thing, I mean, there's a client of ours. He's 77 and he has two businesses and he could be in at 8 a.m. and finishing at 9 p.m. But an amazing guy, absolute gentleman, very, very generous individual. But he's just an absolute workaholic. Uh, look, if that's what he loves for a place, I would hate to work that much uh, when I get to that age. But for those of us who are workaholics, I mean, when you try and pull yourself away from that, what do you replace it with? Yeah, so good question. Replace. So, you know, and, and I've spoken to a couple of people around, you know, when we look at balance, and we look at replacing one habit with another. Do we replace it or do we just, you know, give ourselves that space that we need? Okay. So for me, are if we were to replace it, are we changing the behavior or the habit? And that's what I would question. So I wouldn't look to replace. I'd really look at the behavior and we're, we're built on habits. You know, we get up in the morning and, um, you know, we brush our teeth. We go to, you know, we drive our car. We don't think about driving the car. But when we first start to drive in the car, we to think about putting it in gear, yeah. checking the mirrors, <laughs> you know, but that becomes habitual. That becomes, you know, ingrained in us that we don't think when we go to drive the car. And I look at people and behaviors as same way we don't we don't think when we're driving so you know when we're in and it's behaviors if we're if we're constantly in we have to change something in that day there has to be some changements made so you know we either slow it down or we pause or we check out or whatever that might be for people that are workaholics it's it's looking at that day and changing it, it, it and, and it's not going to be it's not easy it's it's hard mm. and some people have an attachment to being a workaholic because they're worried if they pull back that they're going to lose something and it's that fear of i'm performing really well or the business is going really well and if i if i slow down in any sort of way um you know nearly things are going to start come crashing down or i'm not going to get the same result i was getting before when a matter of fact like if we actually just slowed it down a little bit we might actually create some space for creativity because creativity doesn't work when you're in that workaholic space. No. It doesn't. So it's slowing down and giving ourselves time out. And it could be as easy, Gary, as going out for a walk. It could be as easy as literally sitting in the car, looking out the window for 15, 20 minutes and looking at birds. You know, it doesn't have to be some crazy meditation in the middle of a field. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It can be something in our day that breaks up you know, it could be a reflective practice. We could sit down and go, OK, you know, what am I grateful for today? Or, you know, what 
what good thing has happened to me, whatever that might be that you need to tap into just to stop a little bit in the day. And, you know, I had a conversation with someone yesterday and I said, when was the last time you done nothing? And they said, what do you mean? I said, when was the last time you done absolutely nothing and didn't feel guilty about it? Mm, that's the other thing. And didn't it? feel guilty yeah. about it. And I think there's a lot of guilt attached to actually slowing down and doing nothing. And I think we need to, you know, that needs to be lessened and, and we need to really look at absolutely doing nothing. If I look at, I have a 15 year old son, he's quite happy doing nothing. And, you know, I'm looking at him kind of a bit jealous, going, geez, he's quite happy doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, but again, and I think the sea swimming and things like that, again, it's to get me out of my office, Gary. It's to put me into a different environment. And that's sometimes we need to change the environment we're in because if we're in a, we're a workaholic, if we're in that same environment and we're expecting change, it's not going to happen. So what I would do is I take, Take yourself out of that environment. It could be outside. It could be sitting on a wall, whatever that might be. And just to try and do that even a couple of, you know, try it once, twice a week and then see how you can increase that then thereafter to help. Yeah. One final thing I want to talk to you about. We were mentioning having coffee outside the studio there before we started recording, and that's accountability. Um, And you were saying that you've partnered up with someone as like an accountability partner or accountability coach and, and the importance of that and especially again for anyone starting out in business or maybe they could have loads of people working with them in business um but the importance of having that accountability when running a business yeah it's super important and even anyone i've spoken to will will echo the same thing uh, you know and and i kind of you look at successful people and they all have not saying I'm successful, but as in I was down at the event yesterday and I, and I heard from two amazing speakers and they all spoke about people in their lives that really set that tone for them, being a mentor or a coach or whoever it is, or it could, they could be on a board and someone really helped them. So for me, I work with a coach myself, even though I'm an executive coach, mm. I do work with a coach because I need that accountability and that check-in piece. And as I said there, I'm in a co-working space and I have an accountability buddy. The importance of having accountability when you're self-employed and I'm a sole trader is really important. And, and the reason it's important is that sometimes we can get very much stuck in our own head. And if you're in any way entrepreneurial, you've hundreds of ideas coming into your head every minute of the day. And sometimes an idea you thought of yesterday, you feel it's five years old, even though you haven't even started it. You're like, I'm on to the next idea yeah. now. And when we have those accountability we're, we're setting real tangible goals and set time frames and we're looking for actions. And sometimes we need to break those down into little pieces and it's really looking at, okay, you know, I want to get to here and it's okay. Well, I need to do this, this and this over the next each day that I'm tapping away at that and having someone accountable for that, you know, that we can check in with and that we're not veering off course or we're not getting distracted of what's going on around us with the day to day life of our business or, or home life that can sometimes come into play that we're really thinking about it's it's keeping focus the one thing that kills a business is loss of focus so what do we need to do we need to focus on how we're going to get there and I think with the accountability piece that really feeds into the focus that we need Gary in order to move us to where we need to go so it could be that we want a certain amount of clients booked it could be that we want a certain amount of turnover in the business that month keeping that accountability there it doesn't mean they're on our back they're cheering us on they're going well done but if we know we have that accountability every week for me personally, and I don't know about other people, I'm nearly going, right, 
I have to have a meeting with so-and-so. I need to get my ducks in order. Like mm. I have to get that stuff done. And it's really good to have that, especially if you're not in uh, an environment like I was in where I had 10, 15 people to feed into. So my accountability was actually that I was accountable to my team. Yes. I'm accountable to Louise now, myself as a person. It's easier for me to drop the ball when mm. I'm only accountable for me. It really is. And it's easier for me to make up excuses. So having that accountability is important for that. Yeah. And it's very hard to be accountable to yourself when there's so many other things going on within oneself, you know, personally and from a, a business point of view as well. And I suppose sometimes when you're talking to someone saying, look, this is a goal I want to focus on and this time I'm going to break it down into little steps to reach that goal. As you're talking about it out loud, you're probably reinforcing the idea as to really why you want to achieve that goal, but you're also probably finding a better way of reaching that goal also. So it's the accountability helps, but also talking about those goals and why you're doing them helps as well because it helps you define that goal more, but also probably come up with a better way of going about achieving that goal yeah flesh it out and i think it's a sounding board yes it's yeah. definitely yeah, and it works as a sounding board and i think you know even from even from starting a project how are we going to do it what resources do we need someone is going to really ask those really great probing coaching questions that's really going to go okay is it viable or is it not is there much point in me starting this or not? And someone that's going to challenge us in a way and i think it's important as well and and, and i've seen this mistake be made gary Choose a coach or a mentor that actually fits into what it is you want to do, because I think that's really important because, you know, we, we can work with people, but it depends on what we need. So if we're, for example, what I'm doing retail consultancy, I need to be aligned with someone that's in that field. Yeah. because they understand the challenges that I'll have. They understand my skill set and they'll understand then where it is I want to go a little bit. So it's it's important that we understand that as well, because sometimes we, we might get someone that doesn't and we're looking for those that guiding and maybe they don't have that knowledge or experience. So I think for me anyways, I've, I've learned that I need that experience there from the retail space if I'm working with someone with another coach. Yeah, there's no point just asking your best friend or something no. like just to have someone as a yeah. an accountability buddy. It doesn't work that way. No. What mistake have you made in life that you really learned from? That's a really good question. What mistake have I made in life that I've really learned from? Let me think. Ooh, it's a tricky one. What mistake? Um, okay, yeah. For me, because I worked with teams for a long while, the, the mistake I learned was people pleasing. Mm -hmm. So believe it or not, the, the whole the whole reason I went into this area of work was I I've, I've a background in HR and I've done training and stuff like that, but I would always end up mentoring managers as a store manager. I would mentor managers in Dublin. Court. I, they'd end up bringing me and asking me for advice or support. And usually it was around having a difficult conversation with someone, Gary. Usually it was around, I don't know how to approach this problem or whatever that is. And it was around people because the business is run by people and the people are the core part of the business. So the products are easily learned, operational, easily learned. So the, the thing for me that I learned very early on, and that was when I started progressing in retail management and it was a mistake I made, was understanding that I didn't need to people please in order to get people buy in or in order to get to manage or lead people. And 
that mistake I learned from because I ended up getting really stressed out. I ended up doing a lot of work myself. I ended up not asking people to help me. I didn't understand how to delegate because I, up until that point, had been doing everything on my own and I'd moved from a sales advisor position to a supervisor. Quite hard in that in that role because everyone that was at the same level of me then I got promoted into. So I didn't want to appear like the I was the boss of them yeah, because yeah. they were at the same place as me. Yeah, it's awkward. So I struggled. I really struggled in having difficult conversations. So people that weren't performing had to sit in annual appraisals and I had to say that this person wasn't great when they'd started with me. And I really struggled. And I took so much learning from those experiences though, Gary, and I learned the hard way. You know, I had people that got really annoyed with me and, and I had really difficult conversations. But I learned so much from that experience in Next that I actually took that into every single role thereafter. I took it into mother care where I mentored people that had issues like that. I took it into Woody's. I took it into every single one of those retailers. I specific examples where I, I took that learning and I helped someone else. And I think that's really important that we come out of these situations, but we we, we reflect, we analyze and we go, yeah, do you know, it was really hard. I went home a couple of times and I cried about it because I didn't know what to do. And I was afraid to make the mistake or I was afraid to, to talk to someone or I was afraid not to be liked. Yeah. You know, I was really afraid not to be liked. And, and you know, I, these people were my friends and, and I, I had fallen out with one or two of them over it because I had to make that decision, Gary. I had to either avoid it, avoidance, mm. right, which would be which was something I had done back then because I avoided having difficult conversations. So I would cover for people that weren't performing. That was back in Next. And I would nearly do their job because I was afraid to go and pull them up on the work they weren't doing. Yeah. And I learned from that. And I had to have, I remember I had an amazing store manager at the time and she pushed me into doing it. I really didn't like it. I cried, I was nervous, but I'd done it. And then I had to then continue to do it. And it was uncomfortable. I don't think I ever liked firing people i don't think i ever liked having performance related conversations and again i take that learning now what i touched on earlier was are we recruiting the right people for the right job and what's our onboarding like because i realized from working in those retailers they recruited the wrong people they recruited people that weren't they didn't enjoy customer facing roles gary okay do you know what yeah, i mean they yeah. didn't enjoy it so they were out of their comfort zone they didn't like it there was a little bit of resistance we didn't onboard them properly so again i was having difficult conversations with people because they weren't told what the expectation was then i was coming in so i learned from that and i apply that knowledge in anything i do because i've real life examples behind it and i understand those so you know expectations what's the expectation onboarding, recruitment, do they know what they're doing? Are they super clear? I get people to bring, I don't do interviews in an office. I don't believe in it, especially in a customer facing role or hospitality or retail. Anyone that has ever interviewed with me, I tell them to go onto the shop floor and to talk to customers. All right. So if you, if and, and we've done that, and, it, and, I, and I know within them being on the shop floor within about 10, 15 minutes, whether they're actually going to enjoy it or not. And I bring them out the back and I'm like, do you like talking to people? Do you feel comfortable? And they'll say, I really don't like it or I really enjoy it. And you know then whether they're the right fit or not. And you can feel it with the team. And what I usually do is I used to go around and ask my staff. So I'd leave them on the shop floor. I'd observe a little bit, but I'd go out the back on purpose. And I'd actually ask my team from an accountability piece. I'd say to the staff, be like, how did you think that girl got on? 
And they say, oh, Louise, fantastic, really great personality, customers chatting away. So the team then are bought into that new hire mm. and they're going to help me then train her and buddy up with her. So we do things like that, Gary, and that then the team feel that they have recruited that individual. I'm thinking, yeah, I've, I've got I know what that person is like. Obviously, if they're the wrong fit, I'm going to have a conversation. But, you know, we do things that way and it works really well. Excellent. Thanks for sharing. Call to action here, CTA. For people listening to this podcast today, what is it that you do that you can help people with? What can I do? So if someone is in the retail space, Gary, and they're feeling a little bit lost, they're feeling that they are struggling a bit, they're looking at their figures pre-pandemic and possibly 2019, they're looking at that full year and they're really struggling and they're thinking, right, my footfall is down or my average transaction value isn't performing well or John, I'm struggling to recruit the right people. I have processes there, things I do, and I've touched on a couple of them there that I can implement and really look at, at driving a business forward. And I absolutely love retail. I think it's 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 in my blood. I absolutely am passionate about it. So anyone that's in a retail store at the moment that wants support in getting outside of their business and instead of being in their business, working in their business, they're working on their business because we can get caught on a hamster wheel sometimes. And my job is to take them off that hamster wheel, sit them down and look at their business objectively and see what we can do. And we're working as a team together on that. And I'm very much hands on. I will be on that shop floor. I'll see what we can do. And yeah. Well, it's funny what you said about taking ownership of a business. I mean, I've met you as store manager in in various outlets down through the years, and it always felt like Louise's shop. You know, you just did take ownership of it and great pride as well in, in the role you had in those businesses. So I'm delighted for you now that you've taken the leap and set up your own business and continued success. And thank you for joining us in Gary Talk. Thank you so much, Gary. I've loved it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to that episode of Gary Talks. And again, please do spread the word about the podcast. Follow Gary Talks on Instagram and LinkedIn. And don't forget, you can join me again later in the week. Every Friday, we release a short bonus episode called Business Bites. So I look forward to talking to you again later in the week. Take care. (laughs) 